Special thanks to our choir. They do a great job for us, leading us in worship each week. Appreciate that. Uh, church, I have to laugh, and when Ryan's up here doing announcements, sometimes I'm like, Ryan, just don't do any more of this, right? The words that are coming out of his mouth. So let me clarify a few things. Don Morgan is one of our elders here. Uh, he does have a health condition. It has nothing to do with his trip to Mexico. Uh, the way Ryan announced it made it sound like he got in some sort of shootout in Mexico, right? And they took him over to the border to El Paso. He's got a gallbladder issue. Nothing to do with the trip, though, but just pray for one of our elders, Don Morgan. And then visitors, we are so glad you're here but we do not want your blood. Okay, so I'm not sure what he was thinking. Uh, we have pens at the table in the back. Okay, so just, just grab one of those. Anyway, uh, love Ryan. I especially loved his focus on Veterans Day. Uh, if we have any veterans in here, would you stand up for us real fast? Anyone who has served this country, thank you all so very much. From the bottom of our heart, thank you all so much for your service to us, to our country. And this is the beautiful thing of being one church, one service together. Uh, normally we would say that and, and a lot of the first service folks would be standing and not many in the second would get to honor them. And so thank you, church. Together today as one big, large, loud, crazy, eclectic family all together in this place. Hey, speaking of uh, loud and crazy, thanks to those of you who volunteered to help us pull off our Harvest Festival a few weeks ago. Uh, whether you uh, donated candy or helped man a booth at the event itself, maybe you painted some faces there. We had 600 people come through the doors uh, the night before Halloween for a Harvest Festival. It was incredible. A lot of our neighbors, those in the community came, and the hope is that they saw something, they experienced something while in this place that will compel them to come back and want to see who and what we're all about. But thank you so much. If you were not a part of that event, you missed seeing Pastor Nathan dressed up as a Chick-fil-A sandwich. <laughs> I kid you not. And in my eyes, the man never looked so good. <laughs> Let me pray for us and we'll dive into our message. God, thank you for being a God of life and a God of love. We ask that you will breathe both of those things into our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have good news and bad news. Many of us have heard someone say that before, and if on the off chance you have not heard that, you've probably heard a corny joke or two that begins with those words. Let me share with you a few of my favorite. Uh, a doctor tells his patients, I have good news and bad news. We'll go with the good news first, doctor, the man replies. You only have 24 hours to live. What? The man says. Well, what the heck's the, the bad news? I forgot to tell you yesterday. A teenage driver comes to his parents late one night. I have good news and bad news about the car, mom and dad. The good news, the airbags work great. The bad news, well, I think the good news tells you all you need to know. During a counseling session one afternoon, a therapist tells her client, the good news is you're not paranoid. The bad news is the government is actually spying on you. Good news and bad news. That's how I would summarize our text this morning. Here at West Bowles, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Real Faith, Real Life. We're looking at uh, one of the New Testament books called the book of James. And if you've been here the last few weeks or if you've spent any time at all reading through that book, you know that James, the brother of Jesus, the one who first penned these words, he's a pretty serious guy. He calls it as it is. And he tells us throughout this book in a lot of different ways that there's a huge difference between those who profess faith and those who actually possess faith. 
Huge difference between saying you have the real thing and actually having the real thing. Chapter 1, he says, if you see trials as opportunities to grow closer to God, if you see temptations as opportunities to trust more fully in God, then you've got the real thing. In chapter 2, he says, if you treat everyone with dignity and respect and equality, if you put your faith into practice through sacrificial acts of service, then you've got the real thing. In chapter 3, we looked at last week, he says, if your words are filled with purity and mercy, peacefulness, sincerity, consideration, then you have the real thing. And here in chapter 4, our text this morning, we're going to see that how we respond to the good news and the bad news that James has for us, that's also going to show us whether or not we have the real thing. So let's start with the bad news, shall we? You and I are a lot more selfish than we like to think. Between the ages of four and five, I attended the prestigious Butterfly Tree Preschool in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was so prestigious, in fact, I think it was torn down and now there's like a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through. One day after show and tell, I was putting my stuffed animal back into my little cubby and I saw it. The newest teenage mutant Ninja Turtle action figure, the Silver Shredder. Anybody else obsessed with turtles? Me neither. Anyway, it was in another cubby because it belonged to another kid, little Timmy Sanders. Well, I wanted that toy. I'd asked my mom for that toy. I'd been saving up for that toy. And so I did what I thought was right, being the, the righteous little individual that I was. I took it out of Timmy's cubby and I stuffed it into my backpack. I stole it. And I wish I could say that was the first and or the last time that something like that happened, but it wasn't. Uh, from other toys at school, to kids' presents at their birthday parties, to a $100 bill out of my mom's wallet. Between the ages of five and seven, your pastor was a total kleptomaniac. And now, as I'm talking with you after service, you'll be holding your handbags and wallets a little bit tighter, I imagine. But don't worry, I don't steal anymore. Not on Sundays. But to be honest with you, although I can laugh about this now, there are a lot of things that I've done in this life that are no laughing matter. Things that I've done that are so hateful and so harmful to myself and to others, I would never stand up here and openly admit to them. And although I don't know everyone in here personally, I feel pretty confident saying we all can relate. Mark Twain said this, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which they never show to anyone. Mark Twain was not a Christian, but I believe his understanding of human nature was spot on. We all have a dark side, this deep inclination within us to, towards evil and egotism, towards sin and, and selfishness. And I would disagree with Mark Twain. He says we never show it to anyone. I'd say we show it off all the time. Ever wondered why a toddler's second and third words after mama are no or mine? Ever wondered why teenagers always push against authority? Or why politicians risk everything for some fleeting momentary pleasure? Ever been shocked to discover that a coworker you thought was straight as an arrow was an addict or an abuser? Ever wondered why you are so strongly pulled towards gambling or drinking or, or porn? 
It's because deep inside of us, there is a susceptibility to selfishness. A susceptibility to selfishness. This is how James puts it, James chapter 4. What is causing all the quarrels and fights among you, he asks? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James says there are cravings and longings that exist deep within each of our own souls and spirits, and most of them play off and eat off of the word you. You. You need. You deserve. You should. You'd look really good in that. What was true for Eve back in the garden? You won't die. You will become like God. It's all about you, Eve. Well, that same struggle is our struggle. We are all drawn to what we want, to what will make us feel good and what makes us happy. And so James says every clash and every conflict in this world, from the ball field to the battlefield, every single war and fight and struggle that plays itself out is because of what's happening deep within. The Greek word for desires here that James uses is the word hedonai. It's where we get the word hedonism. Hedonism is the philosophy that says the pursuit of your personal pleasure should be the highest aim and goal of your life. In other words, you should be able to use and get and play with and try and taste and buy and sleep with whatever you want, no matter the cost, no matter the consequence. If it makes you happy, then just do it. If I want Timmy's shredder toy, then I'm going to take Timmy's shredder toy. And the reason we get into fights with our mom or arguments at work with the boss, the reason we get into shouting matches with the spouse or altercations with a stranger on the freeway, the reason we hurl insults at random people and, and throw bombs at other nations, the reason for all of it is because there are these selfish desires buried deep within us. James basically says we're all hedonists at one level or another. We all want what we want, and we're going to go to some pretty crazy extremes to get it. Listen to how the message, a different translation of James, describes it. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Didn't they just happen? No, no, think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. And that's some pretty extreme language, killing, lust, violence. But James wants us to see how destructive these desires can actually be. And Christians struggle with this just as much as anybody else. James says there are some in this world who try to, try to satisfy their selfish desires apart from God. Right? You have not because you don't ask God for it. You're trying to satisfy yourself apart from the one who made you, apart from the one where all good things come. Yeah, good luck with that. It's not going to work out too well for you. But then he says there's another group of people. They're not trying to satisfy their desires apart from God. They're trying to satisfy their own selfish desires through God. When you ask, James says, you don't have because you ask with the wrong motives, that you can spend what you get on your own pleasures. This is hard for us to swallow, but James is saying there is a way to pray. There is a way to interact with God that's wrong. You can be praying to the Lord and at the same time be living very hedonistically. 
Let me see if I can't say it another way. How many of you have ever received a gift from someone that was more beneficial for the giver than it was for you? Right? It's like, oh, great, thanks. You shouldn't have. It's the wife who gets the new flat screen TV complete with NFL season pass. <laughs> You're welcome, honey. It's the husband who gets a new set of towels that don't have motor oil stains on them, right? It's the teen who gets the new cell phone with the built-in tracking device. Like, wait, who's this for, right? When that happens, we can't help but think, wait, wait, that, this is not how this is supposed to work. This gift, although given to me, is actually all about you. You had yourself in mind when you picked this gift out. And I wonder if that's how God doesn't hear a lot of our prayer requests. Wait, wait a second here. You're making a request to me, but it's all about you. James says we can go to God like he's Santa Claus or some vending machine. We can go to him because of the goodies that he can give to us. For some, he's nothing more than an errand boy. His sole purpose is to uh, go fetch me stuff. Bring me another pillow or a cool, refreshing drink, God. I'm uncomfortable here. A lot of people actually don't want to become more like God. They just want the stuff they can get from God. James goes as far as to call these people adulterers. They come to God when it pleases them and when it satisfies them. And when God stops satisfying them, they run off and befriend and sleep with somebody else. You adulterous people, he says. We'd rather have a different job than a deeper relationship with God. We'd rather have a bigger house than build up our foundation of devotion to God. We'd rather have this or that instead of coming to know God. So the bad news, we're more selfish than we like to think. And now for the good news. God is so much more gracious than we can even imagine. Verse 6 in James chapter 4 is like an oasis in the middle of the desert. It's like a cup of hot chocolate and a pair of long underwear on a cold morning. I love long underwear. Um, it's like a quarterback who knows how to throw touchdown passes instead of interceptions. <laughs> oh, wait, we don't know what that's like. James 4 verse 6. He gives greater grace. Say that with me. But he gives greater grace. One more time. But he gives greater grace. If you do not have that verse highlighted, underlined, circled in your Bible, do it right now. He gives greater grace. What's God's response to our selfishness and, and our short-sightedness? What's God's response to us fighting with others and turning our backs on him? What's God's response to our hedonism? What's God's response to our prayers where it's like, you better give me what, you, what I want, God, or I'm going to walk away from you. What's God's response to all of that? His response is grace. His response is kindness. His response is mercy and affection and forgiveness and healing. His response to the really bad news is this really, really good news that grace is greater. I'm so glad for my sake and especially for yours that I'm not God. When my kids fight with one another, when they act selfish and mean, when they hurt each other, when they only think about themselves, when they take an object and feel like that, that object is more important than the relationship they have with somebody else, when they do that, my kids get a whooping. Or at least a warning, to be politically correct. But I punish them in that moment. Not, not God. You see, God, in response to his children acting the fool, gives greater grace. 
Romans 5.20 says this, the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So God's law, the Ten Commandments, it basically piles up our sinfulness. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, uh-oh. You, you shall not steal. Uh, you don't need mean Ninja Turtles, do you? <laughs> uh, honor your father and mother. I'm assuming stealing money out of her wallet is not honoring, right? It just adds up. It keeps adding up, and I'm carrying this huge load. But where sin increased, where sin piled up, grace increased all the more. Grace piled up even higher. What many of us don't think or believe or fully fathom is that grace blows sin out of the water. Grace is so much bigger and better than all the harmful, hateful stuff that we do. If there was a race between grace and sin, grace would not only win the race, it would finish the race, go take a shower, get something to eat, binge watch both seasons of Stranger Things on Netflix, go get something else to eat, and then sin would cross the finish line. Probably the next day. Listen to this, church. God responds to the volume of our sin by turning up the volume of grace. He wants grace to be so loud in your life that you can't hear anything else. If you don't like loud music, that's a whole other thing, but you love loud grace because you want loud grace and greater grace to drown out every other noise that's in your life. At Christmas, we all have relatives, don't we? The ones that we're scared of to receive like a gift from because they're always trying to like surprise us. So we're always waiting and wondering like, what's Aunt Jenny gonna get me this year? You don't have to wonder about God. He will always give you grace, greater grace. So maybe you've spent your entire life chasing after all these things that you wanted deep within. Maybe you spent your whole life chasing after everything but God. Maybe you've tried or tasted or befriended or slept with everything in this world so you could satisfy these cravings that you had. Maybe you only come to church because you think God is a means to an end. He can get you what you want. Maybe you've stolen far more than shredder. Maybe you've done far worse than you would ever admit to publicly. Maybe you've killed and argued and, and fought against more people than you can count. Maybe you are so caught up in this battle that James is talking about, you can't even see straight. That's okay because God gives you, yes, you, greater grace. Grace is greater than all the wars and all the fighting and all the selfishness and all the hedonism. Grace, grace is greater. What does this look like? What does this mean? It means that he gives us victory. It means he gives us peace. It means he gives us himself. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, Jesus died to not only save us from sin, whatever, whatever that is. He died to save us from ourselves. He died to save us from that life. It's like me, me, me. That's not life. That's how many of us have been living this life, so me-centric, so hedonistically, where it's just, I want this, and I want this, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to steal that from you. Jesus died to free you from that. This might be one of the most important slides I have ever shared with you as your pastor. 
The only way to combat selfishness is through submission. The only way to conquer hedonism deep in your heart is through humility. And the only way to break free from destructive patterns is to draw near to God. Let me unpack those quickly, and then we'll move into our baptisms. When you submit to God, that first part, overcoming selfishness happens through submissions. It means you submit to God. When you submit to God, you honestly start to seek out his pleasure and what brings him pleasure and not just your own. When you submit to God, you ask him to speak into your desires. God, why do I want that so badly? Why, when I see somebody else have that, why am I so frustrated and so mad? Why am I willing to hurt myself and hurt others for this one thing? God, what's up with that? Not only do you ask him that, but you ask him to literally shape your desires. God, help me to desire what you desire. Not, not hedonism, but heavenly desires. Help me to have that. When, when you submit to God, you're saying, Lord, I want what you want for me. You're giving him permission to give to you and take away from you whatever he thinks is right. And you're committing in that moment when you submit to God, you're not going to fight, you're not going to scream, you're not going to cry, you're not going to throw a temper tantrum if he gives or takes anything away from you. Because he's sovereign. When you submit, you say things like the song we started with. You are a good, good father. And I trust you with everything. So the only way you overcome selfishness is by submitting the only way you overcome hedonism is through humility. Humility before God means you come clean with all the damage that you've done in the past, all the fights that you've started, all the death and destruction that lies in your wake. It means you apologize for the relationships that you've ruined over the years. It means, like the old saying goes, you don't think less of yourself, you just think of yourself a lot less. When you're humble before God, it means you, you put others' needs above your own especially those who cannot fight for themselves, the widows and the orphans, James tells us. It means you develop deeper levels of gratitude. It means words like thank you come out of your mouth so much more than I want. That's what it means to be humble before the Lord. It means like Jesus to say, Lord, thy will be done. If you want me to have it, then so be it. But if not, then so be it. The only way you overcome destructive patterns is when you draw near. And drawing near means you spend time with him, with your father. Your heavenly father, it means you go to him through the word, through prayer, through worship, through silence, through journaling. It means you run after him like you run after all the other passions and desires that you have. I don't know about you, but when I want something, I'm online all night long, checking it out, trying to find the best deal, looking at reviews. Come on! Why don't I pray with that fervency? Why don't I read with that intentionality? Why don't I sit before God and say, God, what's your review of my life? Why don't I run after you as hard as I run after all the other things that I do? Why don't I spend as much time with you as I do with the gym or on the golf course? Church, to, to draw near to God means you hunger for him. You thirst for him. You listen to him. You include him. You acknowledge him. You draw near. And James starts off by breaking us down. I get that. But the passage ends by lifting us up. Those who humble themselves before the Lord, it says, he will lift them up. You're going to be lifted up out of this vicious cycle where it's all about you and all about stuff and all about gaining. You'll be lifted up out of a hedonistic worldview. You'll be lifted up out of a me-centric life. You'll be lifted up out of a form of death and you'll experience life. See, life is not found in selfishness. The world thinks that it's not. 
It's found through submission. Life is not found in hedonism. The world thinks it is. It's not. It's found through humility. And life is not that found by devouring people or devouring things. It's what the world thinks. It's not true. It's found in drawing near to God. And had I done that at Butterfly Tree Preschool, I bet Timmy and I would still be friends today. But when I do that now, God says, I'm his friend. And there is no higher compliment in all the Bible. I'm excited that right now we're going to witness several people live out these words. With those getting baptized, come on up. Uh, make your way to the stage. I'm going to have the band come up as well. We've got several folks who want to be baptized this morning. And, and this is a perfect connection to our message because nothing more in our life expresses or demonstrates these words in the act of baptism. Submission, humility, drawing near to God. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is all about humbling yourself before God so that he can lift you up. Baptism is all about dying to yourself and these selfish passions so that God can fill you with his passions. It's about drawing near to God by asking him to literally clothe and cover you. God, I want the water to go everywhere. I give you all of me. Go deep. Cover and clothe all of me. And I'm proud of those who have expressed an interest in being baptized today because they're trying to be submissive, humble, and they're trying to draw near. And if that's something you would like to do as well, hey, the water's set up. The water's it's nice, just above freezing. It's going to be great. But if you want to be baptized this morning, this is the time to do it. If you feel like hedonism and selfishness have just wrecked your life and your relationships, your whole world, this morning's the time to submit, to be humble, and to draw near to God. You don't get any closer than that. You just don't get any closer than that. John put together a video of a few of the folks this morning uh, who we knew about ahead of time who want to be baptized. Uh, some sweet little ones. So watch this video and meet those who want to clothe themselves with Christ. 